My name's Sarah Frick, and you're listening to Are You For Real? A podcast all about being real. Like, really real, not just cute Instagram real. Like, real. Hey, you guys. Welcome back to Are You For Real? This is our last episode of this decade. Can you believe it? Holy moly. Um, So we've all made it through the holidays safely as we're listening to this. Um, And today on the podcast, we have Ryan Stasek, who is a great friend of mine and also a very talented musician. He is in the band Umphreys McGee, as well as three other bands that he plays with. Um, Ryan is a truth teller. He tells it straight. He's funny. He's relatable. um, He's real. He's also really smart. Stoked for you guys to sit down with us and listen to us chat. But before, a word from our sponsor, Pink Cactus, which is located on Spring Street in downtown Charleston. Pink Cactus has a tequila and taco hour from 3 to 6 p.m. They have everything from their margaritas to these interesting drinks. One's called a Mexican ashtray. It's a beer served with hot sauce, black salt, and this special spice. They also have tequila shots for $4. You can get uh, Tecate, which is a Mexican beer, for $3. On the snack menu are chimichurros, uh, cauliflower chicken, tacos, and my favorite, guacamole with chips. So good. Avocado, onion, cilantro, delish. 3 to 6 p.m. Tuesday through Friday. Hey guys, welcome back to Are You For Real? We are sitting down this morning in the studio with Ryan Stasek. And Ryan is an amazing musician and a good friend. And um, Ryan, hey, welcome. Thank you. I, I would have said good musician and amazing friend. <laughs> I've actually been doing some research, <laughs> and they say you're quite a, actually a really good, a great musician. Oh, well, thank you. That's what the interwebs say. I love love the internet. (laughs) Um, So Ryan is a friend of mine, and I asked him to come on the show a while ago, and he's canceled on me a few times. So we're really glad you showed up today. (laughs) (laughs) But he's a busy dude. He's in four bands. So will you tell us the question of the hour? Tell us a little bit about yourself, Ryan. A little bit about myself. Um, Let's do the short story. I grew up in Pittsburgh. Yep. My whole family was from there, so I bleed black and gold. Um, Read that too. Yep, it's very true. Uh, so I'm a simple man. I like very, I like music. I like my family. I like Pittsburgh. <laughs> That's it. There you go. Now I moved to Chicago. Or I moved to um, to Michigan when I was 12 and spent the you know those formidable years growing up in the Midwest. Went to Notre Dame, met the guys in my current band, Umphreys McGee, which we've been in a band for 21 years, so that's what I do. I play bass for a living. And then I moved to Chicago for 12 years. Um, I successfully stalked Mary Welch Fox <laughs> for a few years, and it wasn't creepy, you know. And then we became married, and then we had children and moved here. And it was the greatest move ever. Living on the beach in South Carolina was... Never would have guessed that in my years in Pittsburgh, but very happy it ended up this way. Yes. I'm glad you guys did too. All right. So let's backtrack. Mm-hmm. Let's go back um, to school. So you're very smart. Uh, thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. I love compliments in the morning. So <laughs> compliments of Modelo. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Cheers. Um, so um, Ryan graduated from school from Notre Dame. I did. In three and a half years. With a major in marketing in Japanese. That is mostly true. Okay. I do have two degrees. I I majored in in marketing and in Japanese. And I did summer schools and finished all my credits 
So I would only have to take one class my second semester senior year, okay. which was Italian films on Tuesdays from 3.30 to 6. But that was mainly <laughs> so I could work a, a cooking job in the kitchen and work like 35 hours a week so I'd have some bread. Nice. So you, you could know. stalk your future wife. So I could save up for Mary Welch. <laughs> She's very expensive. She is. <laughs> um, why Japanese? This is well, this interesting. Okay. Yeah, that, well, that's a story. So when I was going to school, I thought that my whole life was planned out when I was 17, 18. I thought I was going to be a neurosurgeon. And I, I shadowed a neurosurgeon in um, Kalamazoo, Michigan. Because you got into you got in the fast track med school program at I University did, of Michigan. I did get accepted to the five-year accelerated medical accelerated. program in, at, at University of Michigan. But my at 18, I was not ready for that path. Strange. I, <laughs> yeah, it was intense. And so I, I applied early to Notre Dame, and I got into Notre Dame. My father went to Notre Dame. I grew up loving everything Pittsburgh, everything Notre Dame, so I really wanted to attend the school. And uh, the first semester did not go as planned. It was a lot more difficult than uh, I think my mind and uh, what, that I, what I was ready for mm-hmm. to be away. And, and uh, I mean, I'll just be completely honest, I didn't uh, attend as many classes as, as you're What were you doing? To. I was playing music. Oh, cool. Yeah, you know, I had met some it people. Worked out. <laughs> I, knew, I knew that music is always what I always wanted to do since I was probably five. Mm-hmm. And, um, for some reason, I don't know, I didn't decide to go to music school or anything. But I did meet these, th- these people that I'm currently still in a band with and my brothers. And so it all, it all worked out. But Japanese, uh, my mom's side of the family had Japanese-American friends from World War II. And we were really close. And I was fascinated with the culture, with the language. Um, had traveled, or would eventually travel to Japan and live there for a while. So oh, that's it was neat. just very interesting. And I think my brain wanted me to work well with languages and, and, and creative yeah. More than the uh, the science and English and math side. Well, the math is pretty good. Yeah, math's not my thing. I like math. Music yeah. is math. Yeah, music. So let's go back to music. So you met these guys and oh. you got and 21 years ago and you formed the band. Longer than that. I met Brendan Bayless um, in 1995. Okay. Yeah. And how old were you then? I was 18. Okay. Yeah. And he was the uh, the hippie guy. There's not a lot of hippies at Notre Dame in the 90s. Yeah. And, uh, but you're not, not a hippie. No, and I, and I wasn't really. You know, I just enjoyed some of the stuff that hippies enjoyed <laughs> at Notre Dame. Which is music. But, yeah, music. <laughs> so we, we just had a bond. And we, had, we vibed. You know, very different people with similar interests and um, definitely wanted to make music together and kind of did the, the old school Frankie Valley handshake. Agree, like, I'm going to make music with you for the rest of our lives. We can do this. I, yeah. be, I believe in you. You believe in me, and and let's let's really give it a shot. Yeah, you know. And coming up in the '90s, that was a difficult thing because I I've even talked to my wife about this for for when my children, um, Amelia being six, when she's 18 and and we're gonna go to school, the amount of money, who knows what it's gonna cost then, mm-hmm. but what it costs for someone at 18 in this world right now to know what they want to do. Mm-hmm. I mean. I thought I was going to be a neurosurgeon. Then I thought I was going to be an orthodontist. Now I'm a, I'm a bass player. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I, yeah. how, how, how was I supposed to know in this world? And I had not um, traveled on my own. I was very lucky and privileged to travel a lot with my family mm-hmm. and see a lot of the United States and, and, and um, go on road trips and, and uh, other cultures and, and experience that. And I want to do that with my children. But at 18, I, don't, I definitely don't want to force her to say, you have to go to college, you right. have to figure out what you want to do. It's just, it's, it's so difficult. It's a lot of pressure. And even in 1995, it was like, like that's what you do. You go to school mm-hmm. and you pick out something and you study hard and you, and you do it. And, and uh, I think music is what inside was telling me, was pulling me. Yeah. So that's what I went for. Were your parents cool with that? Absolutely. Decision? Yeah. And, um, 
it's Notre Dame's not big for music. And there was definitely some comments of, of people being like, you, you're spending how much money? To, and you do what? Yeah. So when are you going to get a real job? You know. But they never did that. They've always been extremely supportive of the arts and music. And uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So when you guys met and you got together, were you just playing around there? Like, how did it all Oh, yeah. You're just trying to, you know, have your buddy who can draw, make flyers, and play for, for beer. You know, yeah. The same 17 people would come out and watch you play the same covers and same <laughs> songs. And yeah. be like, yeah, you guys were great. You know, yeah. more for the, the $2 cover and, and a keg of beer. Yeah. And then parties. And then um, the big move was when we decided to move to Chicago because everybody was kind of from the Midwest then. And Chicago made the most sense because we were still close to our families and it's a big city and there's a lot of opportunity. Mm-hmm. So we went for it and um, no one ever had to really get a, a real job, so to speak. But I did have an interview, which was, I was, uh, I was like, okay, I don't know if we're going to make enough money per month. Maybe I'll go into advertising and see. So I completely showed up overdressed with a resume and looked the guy in the eye and I said, you know, it'd be great if I could work on Mondays and Tuesdays, maybe some Wednesdays, but Thursdays and Fridays, I'm, I'm in a band, so I might not be back on Mondays. <laughs> it was hilarious. He looked at me, he's like, I don't, I don't know if this is uh, cut out for you. Yeah. You know, and I was like, oh, I did it. I, didn't, I had one interview. Yeah. So... But we you know we just worked hard. We we played as many gigs as possible. We were all living in one house, practicing eight hours a day. We had a basement, the band house. The guitar players had got married, lived right by Wrigley. So we had this, okay, let's go travel and let's just try and make it and grind it out. You pull straws for who gets the hotel bed, the rest sleep on the floor, some sleep in the van. You know, it was just uh, paying the dues. Yeah. Did you have like a, a make it moment? No. Still work still waiting no. for that. Okay, so you were trained to play piano. Yeah, I started piano when I was five, five years old, and I was um, excited about it. I wasn't forced. You know, a lot of kids uh, have the regret, or a lot of people my age regret. They're like, ah, my parents made me practice, and I didn't like it. And I was fortunate enough to have a, a couple great teachers that taught me pop music. I'd play Lionel Richie and St. Elmo's Fire and Axel F, and um, it, was, it was exciting. Mm-hmm. It was fun. Yeah. So I kept so, going. So what's, your, what's like your earliest musical memory for you? Um, playing piano at five, and I remember that there was this kid named Dino, and he was the oldest student of uh, of our teacher, and he was he had a, a swagger to him, and he would come at the recitals where we're all playing like three note songs, and just kill it. I was like, man, look at that guy just crushing these songs. I want to be able to do that. Do yeah. you ever play piano with your bands? Okay, occasionally, I write on the piano a lot. Yeah, I have my I have a my mom bought me or bought maybe me. I have it now, a baby grand piano when I was five. Oh wow! From, and is that the one that's in your house? I've moved it from Pittsburgh to Michigan to Chicago to four different places here. Same one, wow. Yamaha. Yeah, so I write on that and I play. I I have a lot of uh, piano riffs and a lot of songs. Um, I don't necessarily um, play live as much. I mean, we'll occasionally do some switching around for fun, but I primarily primarily play bass. So can you, like, what's the process like, like of, of writing an album or booking a tour and... Uh, well, both very different. Writing an album is like, it's almost, it's very interesting because you're, you're kind of, you're creating, you're creating your baby. Right. Right. With your guys. And it takes you... So you and your guy friends get together and yeah, you're like, let's make a baby. We each other <laughs> with song. And it's just as fun as making a baby. <laughs> People come with there's a lo, there's lots of ways. Our last album, some people come with ideas, and we get together. And uh, the most important part is constructive criticism, being positive, being like, "Hey, man, I'll check your idea out. Oh no, that's shit. Boo, boo. 
You know, mm-hmm. we'll move on. Does that and ever like hurt people's feelings? Of course. I mean, this is life. Everything it's your hurt. baby. You're someone's telling your baby's ugly. Especially 2019. Everything hurts everybody's feelings. Right. You know? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, we've been with each other so long that, that um, we're able to navigate through like, nah, man, I don't think that's working. Nice try. Come up with something else. Mm-hmm. Nobody's, nobody's getting butthurt about that. Does everybody write? Yeah, I mean, some more than others. The guitar players, obviously, uh, the lyricists, they, they write the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jake, our guitar player, um, has been, he is a, a virtuoso on every instrument, and he's been doing old school four tracking, and he probably has 5,000 songs cataloged that have never been heard. That are hit, they're his? Oh, yeah. I mean, he does the drum track, then the guitar track, then the sax track, then the synth track, then the bass track. How long does that take? Like, does well, he have he, a family? He's got it. Yeah, he does. He's got three kids. Jeez. But uh, he's a pro. He knows how to do it. It's like when you, when, when you get good at something, yeah. you, you master it. Yeah, you know, where I where for me, I put I turn on the iPhone voice memo mm-hmm. and record riffs, and then when we come, I'll show it, and then we'll teach it that way, or we'll learn. I am not schooled in music and theory. Like I, I'm, not, I, you, I wouldn't be on Saturday Night Live filling in, being like, okay, here's the music, here's the charts, go for it. Right. You know, I would be faking it if or I was some that other, guy. But he is in your band. Actually, he doesn't read music either, but but he can pull it off. Yeah. Yeah. He just he's been he's been playing drums since he was three in the jazz band. And um, actually, I, our, our drummer went to jazz school. He got his master's in jazz. So he's probably the most um, taught as far as schooled. Mm-hmm. And um, Joel, our keyboard player, uh, majored in classical music and theology at mm, Notre Dame. You guys are a bunch of smarties. I'm a bunch of smarty pants. <laughs> uh, but other than that, most of us, we're, we're more of a feel and an improvisation and ear playing, which I think is important for improv. We, we, don't, we don't stick to rules or mm-hmm. um, anything works. And sometimes wrong notes are... The right notes. Mm-hmm. So um, I would I would like to work on reading music and become better at it because I mean if you're going to get some extra gigs you need to learn how to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, the gigs I'm doing right so now I don't I don't need to read, read chart music or anything right now. Question, but like you can read piano music, right? I can, but, but not, is it all not fast? You okay. Know, like if if we went to a, a mass, not that I go, but if we went to a mass uh-huh. and they were like, hey, the, the piano player is not here, can you go over and play Celtic Alleluia? I'd be like, nah. Yeah. I can read it. It's going to take me a while. So this is something I've always thought about. Like if you're ever on stage and you, do you ever mess up? Oh my God, all the time. And do people just not know? Okay, so here, like- here's the goal. Here's the goal of messing up. The secret to messing up. It's just like in, in comedy or anything else is you own it. Um, you support each other and you own it. If you make a wrong note there, you, if you play it twice, it's called jazz. You know? <laughs> the only, I mean, it's all about recovery. I mean, basically, if the drummer starts the wrong song, then you're like, okay, you might have to throw the towel in there and be like, oh, we might have to start. But even those you can recover from. And being in a, in a band that plays 40% of the, the three and a half hour show is completely improvisation and made up, mm-hmm. which I love that risk, get yeah. off on that risk. There is, who's to say it's right or wrong? And if you're the fucking, tur- can I swear? Yes. If you're the fucking <laughs> turd with his arms crossed being like, oh, man, he hit a flat five there when it should have been a four. And you know, fuck you. Yeah, you're, you're, at, you're, you're out. You're, you're, you're missing the point of, <laughs> yeah. of having fun and being at the show. I mean, right. everybody makes mistakes. We're humans. We're not robots. I'm not pushing play on an iPod and right, it's right. playing perfect. Like we're playing our, our instruments and, and we're, uh, we're seeing where it takes us. And yeah. That, that's the beauty is, is, and that's why I think our band has survived for 21 years. Because we always try to get outside the box and into areas that we've never discovered. And when you reach that and the audience reaches that with you, there's mm-hmm. no better feeling in the world. You're like, we're all going on this adventure yeah. together and it's awesome. And yeah. we've never been here. Totally. And who's to say that's right or wrong? So Yeah. You know, yeah. It's all that. it's all how you recover or how you how you confidently uh play the wrong note. Yeah. 
I've confidently played the wrong note yeah. a few times in my life. And it's awesome, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so what would you say, like, what's your, fa- what's your fan like? My fan? Like an Umphreys fan. An Umphreys fan? I, I think they, they come knowing that we're going to take risks. Uh, they also know that our songs are long mm-hmm. and that we're going to jam. Mm-hmm. And, and they want to be part of that, uh, that improvisational journey of, of the unknown. They went, and sometimes it's going to hit the moon and they're going to soar there with us. And other times it's going to be crap. And some people get off on that and be like, man, that one just did not work. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. Because, you know, I can take it. I mean, it's not like, uh, it's not like baseball. You know, you don't, you don't bet. You mean right. 300 is, is Hall of Fame numbers. You know? Right, That's right. 30%. <laughs> I mean, think about every night's not going to be a home run. So that you just keep and coming back for that. that risk. Absolutely. I, I love that challenge to go up there. And be like, okay, these people pay good money to come see us take them out of this world. Or take them somewhere weird. I mean, or somewhere beautiful. <laughs> right. Or somewhere to heal. It right. depends. And when you have six guys in a band and, and everybody's in a different mental state and, and where you are, who knows what direction you're gonna allow another musician to take you in. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll do something that's very ambient and and minor and, and sad. And mm-hmm. maybe you will weep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do love and a good other weep. times maybe you you'll headbang right. and you wanna, you know, have some body contact. Yeah. Or maybe sometimes it's so damn sexy and smooth you want different body contact. Ooh. So like say you have those those opportunities and those adventures, and I think that's what makes it so fun and creative. Yeah, what's it like being on the road? Uh, it was hard, but you adapt and and then you you learn. You guys have a bus? Oh yeah, yeah, two. Yeah, once you go to two, it's hard to go back. Yeah, you get to a certain comfort. But like I said, we we didn't start like that. Just sleep. That's the we so, paid do you our sleep on it. Yeah, yeah. We well, it depends. Um, if we're if we're playing in different cities after the show's over, we'll we'll come back to the bus, sleep in them, and wake up in the next city. Okay. But if we're staying in New York for three nights, we'll just get a hotel. Yeah. And you know. And do, the, do you have the same driver every time? Uh, it depends if he's available, but for the for the most part, yeah. But we rent the buses. Okay. And um, we like to keep the same driver because we're a good group of lads. <laughs> they, they tend to enjoy us. Um, but, uh, is you, it like as wild around. or was not, it? Not anymore. Yeah. Was it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, but we're, we're all married with children and, and, um, the hardest part for me is the sleep schedule that you switch. Cause yeah. I wake up at five fifty five with the kids every day when I'm home. Yeah. When I'm on the road, if you're on the West coast, I might not go to bed till three thirty, which is six thirty yeah. at home. God. The hard part is, 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 is flying and adjusting to your sleep schedule. Like, that's hard. I've figured everything else out. Like, I know what I need to eat. Yeah. I know what I can drink. What do you need to eat? Uh, Healthy. You need to eat plant-based or carnivore? A pound of meat three times a day. (laughs) A pound of red meat. No sugar. Three times a day. No sugar. And salt. You need salt. Uh, no, I think you, you really do adapt to figure out what works for you, you know, and then we have our rider and we have massages and we have, you know, it's not a spa day or anything, but we do have the things that Mary Welch that is we back need. here schlepping the kids. Yeah. <laughs> You're eating a pound of beef. Eat a pound of beef, massages. get a massage. That, that's basically my whole day. I eat three pounds of beef and get massages. Um, what does it feel like after you finish a show? If it's a good one, it's the best. Yeah. You know, if it's a it's rough like a one, you go back and you discuss, be like, what went wrong? You know, and it, does, it doesn't Can matter. Can y'all all feel that wrong. together oh, up there? Oh, for sure. I mean, anybody being a part of a team uh, when you lose or when you create and it wasn't, you weren't on the same page, you just discuss that so you can improve and become better. I mean, that's what coaches are for. We don't have coaches, but yeah. we kind of coach each other. 
yeah. to make it better. But the the number one, my two biggest things about being professional was you never be a turd or a jag off on stage because you're pro and you're with your people paid money to see you. So totally. don't ever get that arrogant ego like I'm too good shit and uh, or quit you know or you know walk to the locker room earlier and stuff i don't believe in that yeah and if somebody has an idea you have to try it and make it good like in like in uh for example comedy if someone starts a joke in improv if you shit on his joke it's never going to get anywhere you have to try and build it up so it's such an important team yeah you know and we're six six musicians playing or live instruments, you know, so there's, there's going to be people stepping on each other's toes. There's so going to be people cloudy. starting stuff up at the other times and, and you need to know when to, to not play. Yeah. That is the biggest thing I've learned in, in 20 years is not what you play. It's when not to play. Because y'all go up there, like Create you were saying, space. like you improv things. Like, so yeah. it's kind of like you're just vibing off each other. Imagine if you had 10 people sitting in a room and everybody's talking at the same time. Yeah. Would anything be getting done? You no. need to listen. Yeah. You need to shut up and listen. And then a lot of them a lot of things that are important, even especially with bass, for example. When the bass drops out and the other things are really building and working, and when the bass comes back in, it can be the, one of the most effective things in the entire world. And people might have forgotten that it was out. Mm-hmm. And then when it hits them, like, oh shit, yes. <laughs> you know, and it works. And yeah. learning learning that and that feel and judging that is what you know you grow as and mature as a musician. Yeah. I think. So over the span of your career, have, do you think the industry's changed? 100%. For the better, for the worse? It, everything's just changing, period. You know, for, it's not the old days where somebody owned you and, a, and you, you toured on a record label and you were just in the red forever and you had to put out a certain amount of records for them and do this and then you just never made it. Yeah. Or they, they took your money. Like Umphreys McGee is very lucky. We do everything in-house by ourselves. Okay. We have our own record label. We do everything. We just pay for distribution and, and um, helping with touring and, and, and scheduling and, and whatnot. But as far as the music, um, it's, it, we do it all on our own. So we don't owe any money when it's time to put a record out or, or um, a timeline or, or people. You know, yeah. To help. And, and you have to think, too, just in, I think it's more than music. It's just life. Everybody has a cell phone. Everybody's connected. Everybody has YouTube. Everybody has Instagram. Everybody has to say, hey, look at me. Hey, here's this. I mean, let's imagine in Kansas City in 1947, how many dope-ass musicians were probably there that never left town yeah. or any town. I don't know. Some, you know, that just never got heard or any part of the world right. for that matter. And now, luckily, I think it's a good thing that a lot of people can get their talent out there. Yeah, and be seen and discovered, and be like, "Damn, they're really good." But there's also an over, um, what's the what's the word? They're just it's oversaturated now. It's just so much, right? So it's hard so you think it to takes stay. Meaning out of it? No, I don't think it takes meaning. I think it's much more competitive. Okay, it's like uh, applying for school, where all of a sudden, totally fifty thousand people want to apply to this school now and get in. There's only two hundred yeah. spots. Yeah, and, you know, so it's it's much more difficult. And I I do think, and I could be wrong, um, but I think the younger generation don't when you have streaming. And when I was a kid, you had records, you even had CDs where you'd open your CD and you would listen to the 10 songs, mm-hmm. maybe shuffle them. Mm-hmm. Oh, what's going to be next? <laughs> the suspense. And then, you know, and then you'd read the lyrics and the liner notes. You look at the pictures of the band. You'd be like, how cool is this? It's mysterious. I'm never going to see them. This is so rad. But now you just put on shuffle or a radio or a play. And if you like it, you might go look and be like, okay, who's that? Oh, I've never heard them. And mm-hmm. you'll go look at that band. And then that's how you learn. I'm not saying this is right or wrong. Right, it's, right. Just, it's just different. Yeah. I mean, I shuffle things all the time, and that's how I discover things on, on Spotify, and I use it. But I still try and pull out records and make my kids listen to a whole side and like look at the art and be like, this is what this band created. Right. This was their concept or their art, and this is what they put out. 
And you want me to, here's something that grinds my gears. Tell I'll me, give, please. I'll give you a little Brian Stasek <laughs> rant. And it's not people who text and drive. It's, a, it's not old man dad stuff. This, okay, is, this is a music thing. Go. Um, I don't understand how musicians can craft their baby for, let's say, nine months, to keep the metaphor going, and then when it comes out, everybody expects it to be for free because it's mm. music. Mm. Oh, I should be able to stream that. I should be able to have that. But if somebody writes a book and it takes nine months and they put their book out, is the whole world saying, oh, I should have that for free? And what's the difference? You wrote your art, you put your time, you did all of that, but people will, will click on Amazon and spend 20 bucks and buy that book right. in digital, whatever, they will pay it. But music, they're like, I just should, I deserve to have that for free. Yeah. Now, there are people who do pay for it. I'm, I'm one of them. I do like to go support live music when I see and I like to buy their record, especially right. their vinyl. Right. Like, I, you know, I like that. I like the hard piece in front of me. But I don't expect that uh, musicians should just have all of their work and just for free. I mean, that's why we tour. We I make agree. all of our money touring. That's why I'm on the road. Yeah. If, people, if we made records that people wanted to buy... It's our first problem, but if we if we if, <laughs> if if people did buy records, you know, you play less and be home more. Yeah. But I'm not complaining. We actually, I'm 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 very happy. I'm only on the I play 85 shows a year. I'm on the road for 110, but I'm home for 255. Yeah. So when you look at those numbers, right. 255 or 365 days a year, I'm home to be with my family and my children and 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 there. Yeah. You know, that's that's pretty rad. But let's talk more about that. Let's go sure. back to Spotify because I think that's such a great topic. So. So someone like me who uses music every day in my work, I pay for my premium account. It's like nothing. It's like 12 bucks a month like or something. Bucks, it's yeah. like stupid. Every, I think actually, maybe Mary Welch told me this or you, I don't remember, but every time I play a, a song, that do, do you get a percentage of that? I mean, it's like nothing, I mean, right? It's nothing. It'd be a fragment of a penny. So, is, so now, so that's a huge way that it's changed. Like, what, like I mean, like I know you listen to vinyl. I know John has vinyl, my yeah. husband John, but I don't go out and buy CDs. Yeah. I do everything on my phone. So that you have so do you think people tour more? Is that why tickets cost more? Sure. Yeah. I, I mean that's why we tour with merchandise, but our, our band even goes a step further. We have tried to figure out and we've had nights of the round table meetings being like, how can we do things to create more revenue when we're already on the road or when we're at home and give people experiences? Mm-hmm. The VIP, which my wife worked for for a very long time, mm-hmm. um, was something we did in-house. And we're like, why would we pay a middleman to do something where we could offer? For example, I love metaphors. Be like, if you want to fly first class, you can pay for the upgrade and you get another service. So we're like, hey, if, the, if we offer first class for a show, you can pay a little more. You get a private show with the band. You get to meet them. You get some beer and, and signed posters. You get in early so you can pick your seats. You give a bunch of first class options. Totally. And, uh, and to me, it's super worth it. Yeah. And they do that at Disneyland. You want to skip all the lines and ride, you yeah. know, cost you money. But it's worth it. Yeah. Who wants to stay in line for four Pay and a half hours? Yeah. You know? It's yeah. unfortunate when other people can't. And I, I understand that. And, you know, and it kind of, but it's business. And yeah. That's, that's the way that the world is now. Yeah, and, definitely. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I'm gonna, I need some first class offers around these parts. And, and, and if people, <laughs> if, 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 if it's giving you something that is rewarding and it's worth the money and it's a VIP experience, it's totally worth it. Yeah. I love, if, if I want to see my favorite band and I want to get in early and be up in a good seat, then getting in early is worth it alone. You know, if you're somebody who's a collector and you or or you really want to meet them and do them, these are your opportunities to do that. Yeah. So why not make uh, some revenue with it? Definitely. So, what are your top three band influencers, musician influencers? Um, Michael Bolden, John Tesh, yep, and Olivia (laughs) Newton-John. 
didn't miss a beat. <laughs> I'm uh, sure no one's asked you that question before. Those, those, those are all lies. But I do, I do love Olivia Newton-John. It's like Mary Welch Fox. Something about the, the, three, the three names. It's sexy. Let's so answer the physical. question. Oh, so uh, Tool. Tool is my favorite band. They're like a progressive metal band. Did you just uh, take Melch to go see them? I did. did we she, went, we went to Atlantic City. Did she like it? Yeah. I don't think she understood it before. And it Was w- she scared? I would be a little nervous. She wasn't nervous. scared. She was confused. Okay. Uh, but after, she's like, nice. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. This is awesome. Um, I mean, it's not the easiest music to dance to. Right. But the production-wise and, um, and, and I mean, it's Tool. I've, I've been my favorite band since 1992. It's like she, and it, that was important for her, too, knowing that her man... Dug this shit and yeah. she was a part of it. But I think she gets it. Now, is she going to go home and spin some tool records? Probably not. Probably <laughs> she, not. But wait, but, but, but she, Mickey she really likes the it, right? Experience. Mickey likes metal. Yeah. Yeah. But Mickey's, she's the, at that Mickey's very, the baby of the two. Mickey's almost, almost two. She uh, is delicious. Yeah, she's funny. So, Tool, Guns N' Roses, because that was the band that kind of changed my life when I, I had just moved to Michigan and had no family or anything. I just had new friends and it's kind of starting over. Yeah. And it was like dangerous rock and roll. And I was like, yeah. I'm dangerous. My parents don't listen to this. And then my <laughs> friends do. And jean jackets and cassette tapes. I can get into this. I like it. It was heavy, <laughs> heavy blues rock or um, kind, of, kind of heavy metal, but more blues rock and roll. And then Sade. Love Sade. Yeah. Love me some Sade. My mom took me to a Sade concert. Oh, you're lucky. Yeah. She never tours. Yeah, she took me. It was I was young too. It, we I don't remember. We were I was living in Raleigh at the time. That's amazing. She was dating a guy who had tickets. It's amazing. She said, "Let's go," and I said, "Let's." Yes, it was cool. It was fun. So you were kind of blocking the. Well, you know, it's a I, I was just actually just having a thought about that because <laughs> we went in a limo. <laughs> Sorry, mom. <laughs> Maybe uh, she wanted you to go. I mean, you know, maybe, you know, maybe that night needed to end early. <clears throat> oh man! Um, so let's talk a little bit about your fam jam. Yeah, my fave. You uh, have two daughters, and t- tell us about them. I know them both. Yeah, I think yeah. well. You know them a little better, yeah, probably. I do. They're great. Uh, they really are. They're good kids. Uh, Amelia's six. We call her Punky. Um, there's a lot of, of both of us. Mary Welch and I are kind of very very similar too. My wife and I. Mm-hmm. I kind of I always say that we kind of married each other. Yeah. Um, she's much more stubborn than me. <laughs> She'll admit, hey, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I love you. Um, and the, the the kids have a, a good mix of both of us. Um, Amelia um, likes her space, likes to be an individual, but is very cautious at times too. Where the little one at two is just um, just all into it, just like whatever goes. Mm-hmm. Wants to headbang, wants to find trouble, wants to. She is but so, super happy, so and, happy, and that's a, that's another thing that I love about being a dad. And I remember when Amelia was uh, still in a crib, like as a human and as an, an adult, you have that choice every morning to be sad about things that are going on, which is okay, mm-hmm. or you could be super happy. And like this kid, you open the door and standing in the crib, and there's like. Yes! yes, I get to do this again. And you came you? back for me. Uh, this is fantastic. I'm going to eat. Woo! You're going to wipe me. Good. Uh, those kind of, you know, the, it just it makes you feel so good. Yeah. You know, and um, they're just, they're just awesome. I learned so much from them. I just love spending time with them. It's hard going away, especially with Amelia. Understanding now, she, I think she said to me one time, she's like, "Why not? I think it's time for you to change your job." Uh huh. You know, because I had to go. When you go out west, it's you can't really fly home sometimes in between the days because you don't have that much time off and it's a, it's a six hour flight to Seattle. And, right. and um, so it's funny to have 
adult conversations with a six-year-old and just teach, teaching them mm-hmm. about life. And I don't push anything on her. I like her to be involved. And she, she's enjoying piano. She really likes to sing. Mm-hmm. And watching her sing and dance and, and getting into the music that she likes, I used to force things onto them when they had no choice. Mm-hmm. Kind of like when you can dress them, when you, that small window when you can do that. It's amazing. Yeah. Mickey's in that. Yeah. Because she's in a Slayer shirt right now, and I dropped her off at school. I was like, yeah. yes, <laughs> yeah. I can do this. Because in two years, she's going to be dressing herself. And um, they just light up my life, you know, and they make me and Mary Welch so proud and so happy, yeah. you know, and then kids are tough too, because you want to have your time with you and your wife and your spouse. And when you have two kids, it's important for that teamwork so you can make that time mm-hmm. to do it. So we've been, uh, we, we have a lot going on. We moved mm-hmm. we're still moving in and mm-hmm. everybody knows moving is, is I've never heard anybody be like, moving is so fun. God, I, I love wish I could to do move. this every year. <laughs> can we move next year yeah. too? Um, so, you know, we're, we're, we're finishing that up. We're super excited for 2020. And I think our, our, our favorite word is like is grateful. Mm-hmm. Just wake up and be like, hey, I'm grateful. We've got some healthy kids. Yep. We got a, you know, everybody has problems and everything, but we, we get to do what we want. I get to make music yeah. with my best friends. Totally. You know, Melch gets to be a babe and just walk around town. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and she's, she's, she's an amazing she's, designer. Yeah. And she's following her dreams with, in, in, with interior design. And it's, pre, it's pretty awesome to see um, in our, well, I'm in my 40s, but in our late 30s and 40s, it's still a, chasing those goals and being grateful. And then family. Uh, her family and my family have, have kind of migrated mm-hmm. here to, uh, to Charleston. So let's, since we're talking about family, how did you and Mary Welch meet? Uh, I, I stalked her. <laughs> I straight up shot a bunch of Cupid arrows and missed several times. <laughs> no, we were actually, it was a, I was dating this girl in, uh, in Colorado, and she was there. They were friends, and she was dating this guy. And she walked by the pool in a bikini, and I was uh, the rest of history. I was Budweiser Buzz, and I was like, "Who is that?" And uh, they're like, "Oh, that's Mary Welch Fox." And I'm like, "Excuse me, is that Olivia Newton John?" You know, no, I mean, we were just friends. We were just friends. Obviously, I had a girlfriend. She had a boyfriend, and um, that's where that's the first time I ever laid eyes on her. You know, obviously stunning. Yeah, still to this yes, day, yes, she's, yes. she's, she's beautiful inside and out. She is. And um, th- and then we kind of had similar circles, and we would see each other. If she was at a festival or if I was in New York, she was in New York at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and in New York, I introduced her to uh, all my New York buddies who, and I didn't know that she liked me. I'm not, you know, I liked her, but I wasn't, I wasn't moving forward, excuse yeah. me. But all my buddies were. So I thought I was just like <laughs> a like, Chicago Dude. sidekick. No, I mean, what was I going to do? I was in Chicago and I was on the road and, and touring. So, and then finally I, I discovered from one of them, they're like, you know, she digs you. And I remember, I, I remember like this, I was pacing around in my socks around the concrete kitchen table in my apartment in Chicago fast. I got, Cause when I, when I talk on the phone, I walk around, I can't sit down and talk. Yeah. Like I'm a mover. And, uh, I, and I remember like taking my hat off and scratching my head. I'm like, really? Wait, really? So then I, then I knew that I was going to pursue her, you know? So I was having some work done in Chicago at home and I was like, why would I come home from tour? I want to go to New York. So I just kept going to New York a bunch and we just kept hanging out more and more and mm-hmm. it slowly developed into, you know, a great relationship. And then uh, she moved to Chicago and then, then engaged Then we got married and, and then... Didn't, you know, wasn't your first date with her whole family? The, in, in New York. I came to New York. <laughs> that Yeah, her... her um, her mom and her dad and, and her stepmom, stepdad were having a dinner with her she sister. Has, Mary Welch has a very interesting, like amazing, a large, a large fam- amazing, lar- yeah. a, a large family. But like and parents they were all are together. divorced, but they're still friends. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. And um, and Lauren, her younger sister, yep. was there as well, and they had been drinking. 
<laughs> Lauren and, and Mary Welch. I think Lauren and Mary Welch had gotten into like a huge fight right before I showed up. Cool. Where um, Lauren might say she was thrown down the steps. <laughs> uh, Mary Welch might deny this. I, I'm not sure of the details. All I know is I was in the aftermath. I was like, oh, where are we going? And uh, I think they were crying. I was like, hi, I'm Ryan. Can I join this family, please? Pick me, pick me. Um, no, we hung out. The family's fantastic. And then that was the other thing I was getting back to. Growing up in Pittsburgh, when I moved away when I was 12, I took for granted that I had my great-grandma, my other great-grandma, mm-hmm. one who lived to be 100, one who lived to be 95. Oh my gosh. I actually was at my graduation at Notre Dame, one of them. And uh, my aunts and uncles and my cousins, and all of that was there. And when you move away, all of a sudden it was just me and my sister. Yeah. And we, I was like, hey, Neely. Neely's my sister. I'm like, it's just you and I. Like, we don't... We're on the playground. We don't. Should we challenge someone to soccer? Like, what should we do? How do we meet people? Yeah, and I'm not shy. So, we ended up making friends and moving on. But now that we're in in, in Charleston, my parents have retired and moved here. Mary Welch's mom is here. Mary Welch's dad has a place here. Mary Welch's older sister is married with two kids here. Her younger sister is married with two kids here. My aunt and uncle from Pittsburgh moved here, and they yeah. have kids. So there's a big exodus of all of us coming to this fantastic. I call it paradise. I mean, it's 75 degrees. It's December. Yeah. Something. Yeah. And um and to have that um especially with me traveling mm-hmm. and um that sort of help and support and just the relationship building of your grandparents and the kids being able to 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 get picked up from school and go stay with them or yeah. I have to go play New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve is a big big thing and Mary Welsh can come join me. They can watch the kids right. and bang pots and 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 that to me is is just priceless and I'm so grateful. Uh, each day that that they're able to have those relationships, and and I know Mary Welch is too. Yes, absolutely. And that I I, I wish we had that so much. I think about that anytime we need any help. It's like, I mean, the amount of money we spend on childcare yeah. is disgusting. But well, we we were going to be high. Mary Welch would have been hibernating in a high rise on Lakeshore Drive in Chicago, where I'm sorry, but the winters are unacceptable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and I would be gone. And then there's all the risk of. Flights delayed. You know, it's cold. I was like, "Why are why are, why are we here? Yeah. We don't have any family. Yeah, let's go to the beach. You have family down there, and my, and if we build it, they will come. Yes, yeah. totally. It's and true. We have the kids and they'll the come. Dreams that shit. Yeah. And then the family came, and and I love it. And then and, you know, I've been very lucky too. Like Mary Welch has introduced me to a great core of friends, and and we have such a solid group of of uh, human beings down here. Yeah, and, just, and a lot of your is there a lot of your band down here now. No, my man, my manager moved down here on a whim. Okay. Uh, Vince and okay. Heidi. Yes, okay. They moved down here, but yeah, just just them. My other band, Doom Flamingo Plug. Yeah, no, I'm, that's what. Just Next, let's talk They're about your other Charleston. bands. They're from Charleston. Talk yeah. about Dooms first. Go. Okay. Doom Flamingo is my uh, '80s synth wave band. The the music scene in Charleston is fantastic. There's so many great players, um, and I was fortunate to link up with five of them, and we started a band, and we write original synth wave music. And um, tell us a little bit about what that is. Uh, synthwave is dance music, uh, synth- synthesizer-based, 80s tone. Um, you have that vintage feel, like you're, you're uh, riding in a Lamborghini down mm-hmm. uh, A1A in Florida with palm trees and neon lights and that Top Gun guitar tone and <laughs> danger zone. Yeah. You're in the, you're in the danger zone. Yeah. <laughs> so it's fun. It's fun dance music. And um, the reason it's a Doom Flamingo is because we want the yin and yang of, of it being dark. Sometimes mm-hmm. with the doom and then the yang of, of that uh, summertime flamingo yeah I love vibe it. you know and we do we're able to do a little bit both and and Kanika Moore our lead singer is uh, extremely special a talented uh, vocalist and watching her put pen to paper and 
and make these tunes and and the, and the rest of the guys are super talented as well and it's a super fun project. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So do you take that on the road too? Yeah, well, yeah, I leave this weekend. We're playing up in Charlotte in a ski resort at Beach Mountain. Oh, I think neat. we might film a, a 1980s ski video. I like it. Right? I got to bust out some of my and trust me, I have some my old uh, <laughs> 80s ski gear. You got you yeah. got a bib? I have an iridescent uh, purple Nike flight suit ah. that was my dad's in 82. <laughs> You'll be I'm not a hoarder. That. I'm a keeper of magical things. <laughs> um, all right. What? So you told you said you're in four bands. Yeah, right yeah. I have another band called the Omega Moose, which is uh, strictly 1973 to 1989 covers, okay. but it's all about improvisation. So we do a lot of dance improv, um, but it's all about taking those risks. You know, we might play a Phil Collins tune, um, but it ends up going into a good seven eight minute dance adventure, electro funk. Yeah. And then I have a punk rock band. Um, with a guy from uh, Mike Ganser from uh, f- from Buffalo, and uh, we we we're writing some original music because I'm a big fan of of metal and punk rock, uh-huh. um, and we're staying in the punk genre, but we we're still putting stuff together. That's uh, we've only played a handful of gigs. It's cool. Yeah, it's fun. It's a good outlet. Yeah, so it must keep you uh... aggressive. So did, you, did they tour too? Or you said only a few gigs? We've only done a handful of gigs, but uh, th- my touring life has changed a lot because now I'll play after shows. Of, of my gigs. Yeah. So, so my show will go from 9 to midnight, and then I'll do one from 1 to 2.30. How do you do that? You you start with your morning routine at the works. Yep. With your pound of beef. Yep. You have a pound of beef after. <laughs> keep the core. Get a massage. Center. You get a massage. And that's it. Are you tired that's all you do. ever? I've been tired for 12 years. Yeah, same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Actually, that's why I kind of want to change my diet. I had this interesting talk with one of my neighbors who's a doctor, and uh, he's on... He, uh, the only thing he's eaten for 14, and I don't know if I'm going to go this drastic, but for 14 months is red meat. The old, but like o- not only. even a salad or a smoothie. Like no for- vegetables, no fruit, salt and red meat and water. Just. I'm not kidding you. I think it's super intense. And I taught, and I, I'm, I'm still learning this because for his physiology and what he's doing, he was tired and he was getting foggy. And for what works for him, he wanted to be not hungry. So but you got to eat all the fat and get everything in there. So you, so you just have your three meals. So you're not snacking and noshing in between all the time. So what does he eat a bowl of beef every day? He eats a pound of beef. But like no Three eggs? Three times. He, he, he doesn't like eggs, but every once in a while. Now, I'm not saying just strictly only that. He will have... Like does he have cheese? Yeah, you know, Sometimes some cheese. Not a lot. Just sometimes. You know, <laughs> some bacon, maybe some pork. Or, but the pork and the chicken is very lean. I'm just learning about this, so I'm very intrigued. Got it. I borrowed a book. Is, he, is, he, is it... Well, it sounds kind of keto, right? Yeah, I mean, it's very very, very much on the protein yeah. base. You know, I, I, I have been a, a shit stain this whole year, and I admit it. I have not taken care of myself. I've not eaten well. Um, after gigs, everybody wants pizza and fried food and chicken wings and everything yeah. after. And it's really hard to do that at You're two quite in the morning. A lean go to man, bed. I've been a lean, I've been 180 pounds since I was 18. Yeah, I don't know. I'm very lucky in that in that world. But I'd like to become. I'd just like to take care of my heart and brain. Yeah, and uh, be toned. And I know uh, a place. And strong and strong. Yes. I'm coming. The works. <laughs> the works. Hey, it works. Um, so what's up for 2020 for you guys, for the bands, for... The bands, we're going to keep on trying to you know, do what we do, continue to tour. Uh, Mary Welch and I are going to try and become more um, balanced you know, now that we're in a home. And uh, you know, like I said, starting off super grateful and getting more of a, into a routine with both of our, our careers and each other and our yeah. family and that first. And... Um, See, see, you know, one day at a time. See where that goes. Yeah. I think I think thinking f- way too far in the future can can really fuck you up sometimes. You just gotta really just slow down and be like, right now, 
they'll, they'll be tomorrow. Let's just make this the best. Yes. And it's easy to say, especially with resolutions coming up in January. But yeah. It's, uh, it's just got to just got to do it. I feel like for me, it's more like setting an intention. Not that there's anything wrong with the word resolution, but I feel like it sets me up for failure. Yeah. And one day at a time. One day at a time, for sure. For sure, because it changes. It does. So I have some rapid fire questions for you. Shoot, kid. From some of your fans. Which fan? Melch? (laughs) Melch did one of them. I did a few, but these were from the internet. My two fans. Your two fans (laughs) messaged me. Actually, I had to take some out because... I wasn't sure if you would want to answer them. But. Yeah, I would just say pass. Okay. So these are kind of like very uh, rated G. Yeah. Uh, cool Ranch or Nacho Doritos? You're... Nacho. Okay. Yeah. I'm not a Doritos guy. I'm not a big chip guy. You're like pound of beef. Pound of beef. <laughs> Cheetos on a pound of beef. Uh, Pearl Jam or Nirvana? Oh, that's good. That's really good. And that's really tough. But I would say Nirvana. Okay. Trey or John? Who? I don't know. <laughs> That's, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, next. I thought maybe you knew that. Okay. Um, Borge or McEnroe? The tennis? Yeah. Not a tennis. I'm a hockey guy. Okay. Mario Lemieux. All right. There we go. Uh, how many different girlfriends in different area codes did you have <laughs> when you first started touring? <laughs> In, in, in 1995? That's a Melch question. Man, I think, well, Mary Welch, I was living in the, uh, in the 219, so probably <laughs> one. I wasn't very mobile when we first started She said touring. you had a lot of girlfriends. <laughs> and then I said, so you decided to procreate with them. Um, uh, me or John? You. Me or Melch? Melch. <laughs> um, coffee or Coca-Cola? Oh, no pop. I say pop. But yep. Yeah, coffee, for sure. Macklemore or Eminem? You can't M&M. pass. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, Detroit. All right. You're on a deserted island. You have your you have your kids. You have Melch. Three things you can bring with you. How big's the island? Can I drive a Trans Am around it? <sighs> yeah, it's big. You can have a big island. Oh, I have a Trans Am. Okay. Um, this is like you're f- including your food. I have to. Have, there's not a. Okay. You, I'll have, ha- you have your kids. I'll, I'll have a chef, <laughs> a chef, a hunter, and a gatherer. Wait. Is that two? That's two. <laughs> one That's... who gathers the food and and then one who cooks it for us. Okay. So you have a Trans Am. <laughs> yeah, a, a guy who gets the food and the one who prepares it. You don't have a musical instrument? Nah, I'll sing. Okay. <laughs> um, I have a right. radio in the Trans Am, right? Good. Ryan, you yeah. are a genius. Yeah. Um, and then um, one question from our producer, Lindsay. <laughs> yes. Um, this is a very important question. How do you eat your cheesesteak? Yes, I realize Philly and Pittsburgh mm. are not the same thing, mm-hmm. but just let me know your standard cheesesteak order. My, it is. It's uh, with uh, onions and cheese whiz. Mm. And if they have the hot peppers, the jardineres, as oh, I say, well, then God, yeah. That sounds good right now. Oh, so good. I'm <laughs> so hungry. <laughs> that's probably not in, in... That's the type of shit we eat after meals in Philly at, at one in the morning. Yeah. I'm like, okay, let's go to bed. Yeah. Yeah, that pound of beef I feel like should be in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll do this pound of beef. I love me a cheesesteak. I do too. So does Lindsay. <laughs> All right. Anything else? I feel good. I feel good. I'll have a sip of Medella and cheers, you guys. Cheers. Salud. Salud. Wow. That was an awesome sit down with Ryan. He is such a great guy. Smart guy, too. And how cool to like be a fly on the wall in behind the scenes music, tour life, his family life. He just totally opened up to us. I really loved, too, when he was talking about being on stage and then improv and you just can't be 
you can't be the jerk or the asshole that like calls people out. You just got to go with the flow. So Ryan, thank you so much for opening up to us and sharing with us. And um, if you guys liked it, rate us, review us, share it with your friends, share it with the jam band freak in your life. Eat a pound of beef and I'll see you in the new year. 